welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 160. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not much. You know, it's been a very ordinary, normal magic week for me. Nothing too big. <laughs> Listener, you can't see this, but I'm just like groaning and rolling my eyes at Ben because he's... He's being Ben. Look, before we look. get into our full episode <laughs> and you get to brag about your sick uh, experiences this week, uh, let's go into our usual housekeeping. Of course, if you're not already in the Discord, do check that out. It's the best place to be to chat with us, as well as the rest of the Traficionado community. Discuss picks, talk about your trophy decks, see if you can somehow beat Ben in the trophy leaderboard for the Lord of the Rings. Good luck. Uh, it's probably not happening, but hey. A challenge is a challenge, right? Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft shaft pod. Huge, huge thanks to each and every one of you who continue to support us over there. Perks include things like our draft doctor series where Ben and I will um, go through your draft, make a video kind of highlighting different picks we would have made or how we would build the deck differently, things like that. Stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings, and our draft chaff hero cards signed by us and sent to you. So check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right. On to our crack draft type thing. Ben, what you got? Well, I've got a uh, pack one, pick one, just a good old crack a pack here. Uh, first up, we've got bewitching leech craft. I like this one. Two mana. It's the one of the blue. Uh, it locks something down, but it doesn't really lock down armies that well. Or <laughs> A couple times I've gotten got by putting this on a thing with a counter on it like a four, four that has a count on it. It's making it a five, five. And I forget. And I put this on that instead. And then it just untaps and kind of does the normal thing that it does. Uh, it's still good though. Like I mean, two mana removal in blue. Sometimes you'll put this on their, their Oliphant and just really get them. Um, I had somebody put this on one of my, I think it was my Ugg look. I always get the two black, red orcs mixed up. Oh yeah. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but the <laughs> one, the one that like when things die, you put counters on it. Yeah. They oh. bewitched my my whatever that is. I'm going to call that it. That doesn't now. seem good. And that right? doesn't really. That doesn't. <laughs> that seems awful, especially because the one they kept, they bewitched already had like four or five counters on it, and I was just like, yeah, sure, cool. <laughs> my my six Works seven might occasionally go. My, my six six might occasionally go back down to a five five before it goes up to a seven seven. Exactly. That seems seems good. Uh, Ents Fury, maybe the only respectable green common. I don't know. There's a couple of them. They have good homes, but uh, the only generically respectable green common is probably Ensphere. Yeah, this one is a really efficient, good fight spell. If you're forced to play green, just you'll probably get a bunch of these and then you're in good shape. If you're forced to play green and you have none of these, good luck. Inherited Envelope is up. Uh, That's the three mana mana rock, but it tempts you. Even in like the super tempting decks, I don't think this is worth playing. I don't know. You want your tempting stuff to be attached to creatures. Like I think it's Rohirrim Rider, Rohirrim Lancer or something like uh, the, the creatures that have ETB tempt. Those are pretty solid, but um, this just doesn't add to the board state and you can get run over in this format. Lorian revealed is next. That's the five mana blue draw three with uh, Island Cycling. Great card. Love it. You know, I'll put one in every blue deck, two in some of the more spells heavy ones. Um, haven't run three, but I could definitely see a deck where you did. We have Morgul Knife Wound, another kind of like the pair to Bewitching Leechcraft. I've had a lot of uh, mediocre blue-black decks with one of each of these, and they usually pull their weight in that. Morgul Knife Wound is, a, uh, I don't know, th- this one can go both ways. Sometimes they untap, they uh, just sacrifice it to an effect like Improvised Club or a Nasty End, then that's not good. Uh, sometimes they end up you know, just paying a bunch of life and keeping the thing around and getting more value off of it. Uh, I actually saw someone 
I think I've, I I put this on a Frodo Baggins, the uh, one of the green one three, and they just kept paying the life and kept attacking with it. And they just kept casting legends and getting the ring bearer thing going. And they eventually let it die a couple turns later, but they still got tons of value out of it. Then again, sometimes you put this on like a three, four, like, uh, I don't know, the snarling warg. This is just answers that for two mana pretty much. So uh, it's not the best playable, but it's fine. If you don't get enough claim, the precious we've got Galadrim bow. Uh, I think I sided this in, in one of my green decks against like a black, white flyers deck. No, <laughs> uh, battle scar goblin, two mana, two, two, uh, pings. It's pretty good. Can attack yeah, it in most like things. This yeah. one. I've liked this one in my red decks. It's, I always love these effects. The ones that are, you know, something attacks, it deals one to the blocker. Cause it always lets you trade up. Like these cards just rarely ever trade down. And at two mana, like your two mana, two twos in this format are still just pretty solid regardless. So when this is trading for three or even sometimes a four mana card, you're pretty happy. Yeah. It's also a goblin. Sometimes you'll have a Moria Marauder and you get to, do some funky things with that. It's nice. It's fine. And it's uh, super sackable. It's another one of those cards that oh, you yeah, just yeah. really don't mind leaving on the battlefield to sack to something else later. We've got a Nimble Hobbit up next. Nope. Uh, we've got a, an Aaron Rider of Gondor, like this one. I had a pretty sick red-white deck where I had a Mary and uh, the, the two-mana one, red-white legend with haste and a bunch of these. Got to really just hyper-aggro them. Uh, good card. I like it. But uh, I don't know if I'd take it if I didn't have any legends. Sometimes you wind up with, with pretty legend slim decks or even decks with a bunch of like uh tempting i don't know that this one it's not quite as good as i originally thought but i'd still take it over i mean is it the pick right here i'm probably between that and lorraine revealed yeah i would say so with battle scarred goblin playing third fiddle here third fiddle is that a thing i don't know <laughs> uh i mean hopefully we can get a better uncommon uh we've got faramir field commander it's the three and a white three three um Whenever you make something else, the ring bearer, you make a 1-1. One, one, and if a creature died at your end step, you draw a card. I like this one a lot. This nice little like engine type card. Uh, really, really shines in black-white where you want tokens and card draw and for things dying. But I put this in any white deck. Yeah, this is a card that I've seen on the hit the battlefield and I just feel pressured. This is the type of card that just, yeah, it puts pressure on you. Like this thing needs to die as soon as possible. And then eventually it gets so much value. You're like, well, I almost don't even want to kill it now because it's already done the thing. But you yeah. have a very short window before this card can bury you in value. We've got a stern scolding here. That's the one blue counter something with power, toughness, two or less, which is honestly, I mean, just look at the creatures in this pack. I think it hits like all but two of them, right? <laughs> I mean, this yeah. hits basically everything. Um, it's nice, although sometimes you want glorious gale instead because there are a good number of legends uh, and countering a legendary spell and getting tempted is actually really strong. But uh, I'd still play this, you know, if I had it. One mana counters are also just powerful in general yeah. because they frequently hit something that will enable you to kind of keep your tempo going if that's what your game plan is, or at least slow down an aggressive opponent, things like that. And they're usually pretty tough to play around. Yeah, yeah. Th this is also a creature counter. I mean, the two main counters in this set, I think, are creature counters. There's also Saruman's Trickery, but you know that one's just really putting up good numbers anyway. You don't see those go around too often. But Glorious Gale and Stern Scolding, these ones you can sometimes get pretty late. You can't put your uh, can't put too many creature counters in a deck because there are a lot of non-creature spells that make good creatures. Torment of Golem, uh, Rally at the Hornburg, stuff like that. Uh, but this is still, you know, fine. You'll definitely play it, maybe trade up on mana. That said, I think, I mean, let's, assuming like Faramir wasn't in the pack, right? Because I think at this point, Faramir is the clear pick. But if you didn't have Faramir in the pack, you're probably still going to take like Lorraine Revealed over during Scolding, right? Yeah, between the two, I'd probably take my first Lorraine Revealed. 
And I'd still take Aaron Ryder over Stern scolding. Yeah. It's close though. This is a, a fine pack, but it's about to get even finer because we've got an Aimer of the Ritter mark here. That is a, uh, well, I mean, what, you, do you take anything over Aimer? I, I don't, I never pass this card. Yeah. I mean, it's monocolored, especially like in pack one, pick one, you're like not having to sacrifice on your colors there. You're not getting too pinned down. It's got splashable, you know, you can splash some blue black. This just asks you to put it in your deck and attack. So like, there's very little you need to consider running it in your deck. And it puts up really good numbers if you look at the 17 lands data. So yeah, That's this so is just an easy weird. windmill slam aimer. Yeah, the rare is um, Sharky Tyrant of the Shire. I actually had someone turn off my Minas Tirith with this. I was so mad. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I had a sick red-white deck. I was like, oh man, I got a land that taps to draw cards when you attack? This is awesome. I love this. I wish this was legal in every format. I play this in Pioneer. But uh, I was was like going off with Minas Tirith, and then they played this, and I was like, yeah, that's that junk rare. I got this. Easy. Like bad blue-black deck, played a 2-4, whatever. And then I was like, wait a minute. Can I... (laughs) what's going on here stupid uh, sharky yeah that was uh that was stupid but uh yeah slam armor and uh wonder if that that bodes anything for today's episode i don't know doubt it all right on to our fairy <laughs> tibble this is our roses and thorns style segment where ben and i share high and a low from the past week ben how was your week we i already know how your week was but go ahead tell the listener it was fine um yeah i went wow. to a i went very, to a draft <laughs> Oh, I'm burying it all the way till the end of the show, dude. <laughs> um, I, I had a pretty good draft this week. Went to a live draft. Got to see some people there. Uh, Ryan, Tyler, you, you all, uh, everyone else is there. Andrew, other Ryan. Well, yeah, a lot, a lot of friends are there. Uh, good, good times. Good times for all. Um, went 3-0, you know. No, no big deal with a junk deck. I did not think I was going to get there. It was kind of like a, a junky soul tie deck made it to number one on the uh, 17 lands trophy board. That was kind of cool. I, I've since lost the position. Um, I think it's metal Mario, uh, the streamer. Uh, I think he overtook me a couple days ago, so I got to catch up. Look, I've been playing a lot of Zelda. I, I haven't had the time to, to grind. So, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm going on vacation next week to Colorado. That'll be kind of cool. My Tibble was that uh, I had a double brake pad replacement that was uh, somehow far more expensive than I expected it would be. So, anywho, over nice. to you. Um, I'll start with my Tybalt in that I didn't have the same week you did. I'm not going to specify because you're bearing the lead so badly. <laughs> um, also, some some pretty sad family stuff happened this week. We had a death in the family that was extremely unexpected. Um, sorry to hear that any more detail than that, but yeah, it was, uh, very unexpected. So, um, that was rough, but on the plus side, the Teferi, I did get to see my family this week, which was nice. I haven't seen my mom in a while and it was her birthday this week. So I did get to go down and kind of get to spend some time with her. And then, um, I have some friends in from Germany as well. Shout out to any German listeners out there. Um, yeah, they're in and they brought me some delicious chocolate and everything because German chocolate's far superior to anything we can get in the U S so it is really grateful for that. Um, and then my last bit of Teferi actually kind of touches on what something you just talked about. I broke down and I bought a PS five this week. So <laughs> nice, nice. Gonna, gonna give that a go. I'm excited for Spider-Man two coming up, mm. um, in November or October, I think. So I'm going to probably play the first one this summer at some point. And, um, yeah, I'm excited. I don't really play PC games anymore. I'm actually looking to get rid of my PC. 
because mm. for some reason, like I, I have a, a massive monitor. It's like a 49 inch ultra wide and most games aren't really designed to use a screen like that. So there, mm. it's not the best gaming experience. Um, and frankly, because I work all day at my desk, the last thing I want to do after work is stay at my desk. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I've decided I'm going to, I may get a steam deck eventually as well, so I can still mm. play my steam library, but, um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of the PS five exclusives have been calling my name. So, uh, nice. Gonna give those a go. All right, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Koga in the Discord. If you want to submit a question for the the listener question of the week, of course, do check out the Discord. We have a channel in there called Listener Questions where you can do so. But Koga asks, "What's your favorite obscure limited card? Something that was really fun or felt good to play?" Great question. Uh, a lot of these are in the draft draft cube. You know, <laughs> if you want to see a whole list of about five hundred forty cards that Zach and I really enjoy playing in limited, then uh. There you go. But a couple that come to mind, um, Autumnal Gloom, that's the old en- enchantment uh, from Shadows of Innistrad. It, it was like a, you, you could, it was like a, a green enchantment where you could pay black mana to put cards from the top of your library into, into your graveyard, kind of like uh, to represent leaves falling. And then once you hit Delirium, it flipped into a 4-4 Hexproof. It was really sick. It was a tree folk too. Yeah. Uh, Attended Healer was one of my other favorites. That's the uh, four mana, two, three. And whenever you gain life, you make a one, one, I think it was like a one, one yeah, cat. That's, that's the cat cleric combo card. Yeah. 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 And then you could pay two and a white to give a cleric life link until on a turn. Um, that was a cool one. Ridge scale Tusker, another favorite of mine. It was three green, green for a five, five beast. I think uh, when it enters the battlefield, put a one, one counter on each creature you control. That was from Kaladesh when they had the uh, Kaladesh slash Aether Revolt, I think it was. Still split at that time, right? Um, yep. where you had the uh, the Snack deck where you had a Winding Constrictor and got to just put a million counters. A long time ago, black-green decks actually used to be really good and limited. It's been a while. <laughs> but uh, last one to come to mind was Colostria Healer. This was from um, my early days of drafting when I was kind of just learning in, a, what was it, Zendikar? Battle for Zendikar, I think? Would have been Battle, yeah. Yeah, that that block, um, it was one and a black for a one, two uh, vampire ally, vampire cleric ally. Uh, and it said whenever an, an, a class or another ally enters the battlefield, you gain a life and each opponent loses a life. And that was kind of the the main turn to play of this really disgusting allies kind of like combo synergy deck where the vector was so strong for allies. If you just put a bunch of allies in a deck and just cast them all, uh, you could do some really messed up stuff. And Colostri Healer was the best thing to do on turn two in like the drain ally vector. So that was one of my old favorites. That format also had Zulaport Cutthroat in it. So yeah, it got yeah, really yeah. disgusting really fast. Yeah, and then, then there were things that said whenever you gain life, opponents lose life. And then there were things that gave lifelink and all of a sudden you're draining for a trillion. Yeah, good stuff. Those are some of my, uh, my favorite obscure... Uh, old cards yeah how about you yeah so for me uh the first one that came to mind was murmuring mystic that was mm. the um i think it was a one four for f- three or one four for four that whenever you cast an instant sorcery you make a one one flying bird yeah um just absolutely love that card it was also like i don't remember if it was draft chaff hero material it was it was up there though we didn't actually were we doing the show at that point i don't even remember jeez when i don't set, either when that card came out might have been just after no it yeah, must have been during i don't know in any case, uh, I really loved that card. It was a lot of fun to play with. And obviously, I mean, it cares about instants and sorceries, kind of my thing. Um, to that point, my next one was Brineborn Cutthroat, which I think you could argue probably isn't draft chaff. It did see a lot of play in mono blue tempo decks, mm. but 
that's the two mana two one merfolk pirate at uncommon it's got flash and whenever you cast a spell during an opponent's turn put a one one counter on it so you just flash this in counter all your opponent's stuff it gets big it attacks you know it does the thing that one's in the cube for sure mermaid mystics in the cube too Hmm. um actually all of the ones on my list are in the cube oh yeah Um, yeah next up is revenge of ravens revenge of ravens is one of those cards that i think people slept on for too long in its respective format and ended up putting up like crazy numbers. And then people realized, wow, this card is actually really good. And you can like do some pre- really disgusting stuff. With this it. is a mythic uncommon. Yeah. Like, but it feels like a mythic way. to play with or against. It didn't start that way though. So that was the uh, three and a black enchantment in Eldraine. And it says whenever your creature attacks you or a planeswalker, you control that creature's controller loses one life and you gain one life. And yeah, it was actually just really busted. Um, Next up, Weaver of Lightning. Weaver of Lightning is a card that was pretty similar to um, uh, Alchemist, Thermo Alchemist. And I love these types of effects. So it's a three mana, one four with reach. This one has reach for some reason. <laughs> and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, it deals one damage to target creature and opponent controls. So not quite as busted as Thermo Alchemist, but you know, you get the you get the the point. It doesn't need to tap, and it can just get rid of creatures pretty easily in instant sorcery decks. And then lastly, Cloud Blazer, because come on, who doesn't love Cloud Blazer? That card was ridiculously busted in its format, which was also Kaladesh. And um, yeah, that was a great card. Yeah. Three white blue for a 2 2 flyer, ETB, draw to, uh, gain two, draw two. Just what more could you want? More you can ask for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, makes our flicker deck tick. You know, I think that's probably like the best thing to flicker in the flicker deck. Yeah. Also, you know, I think if we had done a quiz, our listeners know us well enough, but if we had done a quiz where we just listed these lists of cards, uh, they'd probably be able to tell who was who because these are very <laughs> definitive of each of us. Uh, let me see. Blue card, blue card, black card, red card, blue, white card, and then green, black card, mono, white, green, mono, black. Yeah, they probably could have figured this one out. <laughs> and just play styles too, too. Like three yeah. or four of mine cared about instances of sorceries. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks for the question, Koga. Again, if you do want to ask your question or have your question answered on the, on the show, check out the listener questions channel in the Discord. It was funny. I was actually cleaning out my collection the other weekend, and I found a bunch of unused arena codes. So uh, the next like three or four, or however many I have, people that submit listener questions, I'll just DM you an arena code. How about that? Just uh, give us some fresh material. I've got one too, so we'll, we'll add one to that list. Sweet. All right, on to our main topic. This week we are talking our Draft Half Hero for Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-Earth. Ben and I were talking before the show, actually. This was a set that when we were doing our show planning for the quarter, we actually just expected to kind of do like a brief sort of overview of the format and then just kind of move on and do something else. Like we didn't really expect to spend time on this format, but obviously it's a great one. People are loving it. We're loving it. So you're getting kind of the full usual set uh, episodes that we do per set. Hope you enjoy it. But yeah, this week we're talking about the the Draft Half Hero for Lord of the Rings. So Ben... I don't have the drum roll thing anymore, but uh, <laughs> who who made it this this time around? Who made Draft Draft Hero? Well, uh, for our crack a draft type thing, and the start was any hint. It was Aver Aver of the Rittermark. Uh, man, this is a this is a nasty magic card. Aver uh, the Rittermark is four and a red for a five four legendary creature, a human knight at uncommon. He's got haste, and he says whenever Aver of the Rittermark attacks, if you control a creature with the greatest power among creatures on the battlefield create a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. So they actually also kind of buried the lead here because 
usually five is the biggest and it's very rare that something has six power at all there's a couple of things that common um there's the uh the the, the troll the, the the black one uh there's the oliphant then at uncommon there's let's see old man willow can get that big uh she love king child of angoliant can get that big but usually you're just getting a token every time this thing attacks it's pretty reasonable to read this as whenever this thing attacks you get a token the stat line also makes it really easy to attack right because the a lot of times i think we see cards like this that are like it'll be like a five two or a five three where you actually eventually do kind of have to question can i attack with this but a five four in this Mm -hmm. format can get in pretty much every turn yeah and even when you attack once you're getting that token and then let's say they have two three fours right if you have two three four and your opponent swings with this and they have a bunch of mana up do you double block like if you if you get blown out it's so bad for you and you just never yeah. come back from that so plus they're, they're making a, an army every turn uh anyway amber of the Rittermark is currently the seventh best card in the set by game in hand win rate it's at 64.4 percent uh just kind of flashing back to our last draft draft hero we had um invasion of amonkhet that was at like 61 percent, something like that and that card felt great right that was like one of the best cards to have in your blue black or sultai piles in the set this is like three percent higher than that this is on the scale of mythics yeah that's pretty ridiculous and i mean the fact that it's above palantir yeah <laughs> says a lot because palantir is a colorless card you can put in every deck it really asks nothing of you to win the game when you play it. And this has got better numbers than that. This is put up like, yeah, 64.4% is, is pretty, pretty incredible for mm-hmm. a five, four haze creature. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this is actually just one rank below Unfaramir, the, uh, the, the four mana blue white thing that just wins you the game when you cast it. So this isn't quite win you the game when you cast it, but it's pretty close. Uh, I mean, Palantir Vorthonk, I always thought was a win the game when you cast it card. But I mean, this is one of the top 10 cards in the set. And I still see people pass this sometimes. Like they'll take a rare over this. There's maybe t- two rares in the set that I would take over this. <laughs> but uh, I-, I don't know, even if I would, it's mostly mi- mostly just mythics you'd take over this. I don't even know if there's a single rare I'd take over over Aimer. I'm certainly not taking rare Aimer over uncommon Aimer. Yeah, that's true. The uncommon one does seem better. The other nice really... The other really nice part about Aemir is that it's just got that one colored pip, so it's pretty easy to just throw in any deck that wants creatures to attack. Like You don't even need to be on this like aggressive sort of vector to make this card work, right? As long as you can put this in the deck, cast it on relatively on curve, and attack with it, you're feeling pretty good. And, and that means you don't have to be in a base red deck or a red-white deck or a green-red deck or anything like that to justify playing Aimer. You can pretty much splash it in anything. So there's a little bit of other uh, vector synergy going on here. Uh, two humans come in right away thanks to Aimer entering and then usually attacking and make another human. So if you're setting up like a big... Uh, if you curve Urken Brand, Lord of Westfold into this, that's the four mana 3-3. Three, three. Whenever a human enters, uh, creatures you control get plus one, plus zero oh until end of turn. I mean, curving Urken Brand into this is just a disgusting uh plus you're making a bunch of bodies that's good for things that care about going wide also like urken brand or things like hobbit sting or um now for wrath now for ruin which i've actually gone up a little bit on since uh the beginning of the format the uh, the five four stat line by the way it's huge this thing can attack into basically anything pretty much anything except the generous and i don't think there's anything else that really can eat it in the format uh so you're always getting that ability triggered haste on such a big creature means you know you're getting this attack trigger pretty much every time they're never going to see it coming uh they rarely have good blocks for this they're usually two for wanting or you know at worst this thing trades uh honestly i think the maybe the best way to block it in the set is the death touch spider but uh, the, the one mana one one death touch but even then you know you still get a one one out of this 
Yeah. I mean, the human soldier thing isn't like the most uh, synergistic piece, I guess, but at least you do have something that sticks around if this dies. Now, admittedly, given its stat line, this is not really the best ring bearer. It's already something that people want to kill pretty highly. Um, and the power kind of makes it awkward. The, the ring bearer thing you, at first, at least for me reading it, like I was like, oh, just throw this on any creature and it's going to be fine. But the fact that the ring bearer gets unblockable is really important. And this will never be unblockable if you make it the ring bearer. Yeah, I found the two best ring bearers in the set. A bit of a side note to be uh, Dunlin Curbane, the 1-1 flyer, and Rohirrim Lancer, the 1-1 menace for one. Uh, if you make a 1-1 menace, the ring bearer, then they need two one power creatures to block it. And then when it dies, you make something else the ring bearer. Like that's just, yeah. You know. <laughs> also, that's just like cheeky because if your ring, if you've been tempted enough, they'll have to sack both creatures to your 1-1. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, like, you know, that's also really nice. That said, I w- AMR does generate 1-1s, one so they're not... Like, 1-1 one one tokens aren't the worst things to make your ring bearers. So, you know, there is that going forward as well, but... So let's uh let's chat a little more about the data. So just taking a look at the game in hand win rate, usually we would sort for um, draft draft hero and look at the top commons and uncommons. But for this one, we don't even need to do that because this format, a lot of uncommons are seeing a lot of success. Uh, we're seeing, you know multiple uncommons in the top 15 cards or so in the set. Uh, we should mention that Orcish Bowmasters is just ridiculous. 71.3% game in hand win rate uh, for a rare. That is, I mean, it's broken out in legacy vintage and it's no surprise why uh, th- this card is nuts. Then we've got on the uh, and the horn of Gondor kind of both behind it on the is at 70% horn of Gondor is at 68%. Uh, Witch King of Angmar, the 5-3 Flyer, and Arwen Mortal Queen. Some really strong mythics, uh, both following after that. Uh, and then we've got Faramir, or Unfaramir, right after. And then at 7, we have Aemir, an uncommon. That's that's ridiculous. It is pretty ridiculous. You don't have to go too far either to find more uncommons. Just a couple of spots down, we see Fearfire Foes, Nazgul, mm. Sauron's Trickery, all right next to each other in the 60, low 64, kind of mid 63% win rates. And then under that, uh, Eowyn and Ferocious Felbeast as well. So, yeah, um, that's, what, five uncommons in the top maybe 15 cards? Yeah. I mean, I like this. This is a format where the rares are not super impactful. This is kind of like the exact antithesis of March of the Machine, where, you know, the rares are mostly awesome. All of them could win the game. Here, uh, very few rares can win the game. There's a handful that can right? Like Faramir or Palantir Vorthonk. But uh, even then, we're seeing a lot of the high mythics up here. A lot of rares just don't really do anything. So uh, it's cool that a lot of these uncommons have kind of taken it on themselves to do it. Something that I was thinking about with this, um, color-wise, the set is imbalanced, right? Green is obviously a little worse than their colors. I don't think it's as egregiously bad as some people are saying. Sure, there's a lot of unplayable green commons, for sure. Uh, I never put like Brandywine Farmer into a deck. You couldn't pay me to. But you know, even within the the Grixis wedge and white to a lesser extent, and then to a much lesser extent green, uh, there's a nice balance of what's happening here. Um, a, a lot of the best cards in the set are answers. Um, Saruman's Trickery, Voracious Felbeast, Fearfire Foes. These are cards that kind of solve the thing that your opponent was trying to do. Fearfire Foes especially. I mean, that one just sometimes wipes the board, but it'll usually mop up tokens, X1s, things like that. Voracious Felbeast can sometimes stabilize the board. Uh, I, I like the uh, the gameplay of this set a lot more than I like the draft. And I, I don't mind the draft. Sometimes it just feels like it's going off the rails, though, if you're not getting the pieces that you, know, you, you might usually expect to get in like your average modern limited set. 
sometimes it feels like your deck does nothing uh, and then you play with it and you're like, oh, actually, this is pretty fun. Then it works. All right. So as we usually do with our draft draft heroes, let's talk about some of the vectors that we typically find we want to be running this this card in. Obviously, we did mention it's very easy to splash, so you can put it in just about any other deck. But there are some that you really want to see it in or that it feels most at home in. And I think the chief among those is red, white humans really goes without saying this is a red human. It generates more humans. It attacks really well. It just fits that vector perfectly. Yeah, I wrote exactly one word for this vector in the show notes. Uh, What does it say there, Zach? Great. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I have no other notes. Um, You put this in Red White Humans deck, it's going to be one of the best cards in your deck and uh, works perfectly with the vector. You know, you get them low, they're at like six or seven, and then you slam this thing on turn five and they probably just scoop. Now, another weirder vector that I've I've seen this come up in sometimes is Black Red. Uh, White sometimes lacks in good removal. You know, it's got... um, like the three mana pacifism, it's got the Hobbit sting, but these aren't these aren't like hyper efficient removal spells like Black has, uh, like Claim the Precious or Gollum's Bite, uh, which are just you know solid for the format. So red black humans I've seen comes up sometimes where you pick up a bunch of rally at the Hornburgs and like good black removal spells, and then maybe you wind up with like an Urken Brand in your deck just to kind of tie it all together. Uh, you, you can still definitely put Aramur in this deck. Uh, in fact, I found that the uh, the black removal spells and the tricks like, um, you know, downfall even uh, or um, Shelob's ambush, uh, these types of things allow Aramur to keep swinging in past that first initial surprise attack. Uh, sometimes on like turn six or seven after you've already cast him, maybe your opponent leaves back a couple three threes to try to set up a profitable block. Black has a ton of ways to answer that. Now, uh, here's one of my personal favorite vectors, uh, red, green, bad stuff. You know, this is when you try to make like a, like a five color woes pathfinder deck, but you just never get past anything good. So you're stuck just playing red and green cards. Uh, maybe you got some like striders, the four mana, uh, red, green, uncommon, and some like, I don't know, fury of the ents and some red cards. I don't know. Just cross your fingers. And if you could put Aimer in this deck, you know, it's probably your best card, but this vector is not good. Uh, do not recommend playing it. Although usually this would be the type of thing that slots right into a red, green deck, five mana, five, four haste. Like in a lot of past formats where red green was solid, you just put that in every single deck. But um, here you're still going to put it in every single red green deck. You're putting this in every red deck. It's just that that's a vector that I'm not actually excited to be in. Although red and green do tend to pair well, especially big hasters like this. Just not in this set. Yeah, it feels like they misspelled woes in this set. <laughs> it should be it should be W O E S. Oh yes, yeah. green's not not looking too good. But yeah, it's uh, it's probably still going to be your best card in in those decks as well, which. While I think should say something, it it really doesn't because it is just a phenomenal card all all around. Now, here's my last uh, favorite vector here. Uh, I call this one splashing slash multicolored piles. Uh, Really, you shouldn't be asking whether you should put Aramur in your deck. You should be looking for reasons not to put Aramur in your deck, and there's not too many. Uh, If you have somewhere between one to three of any of the following cards, I would put Aramur in my deck. Let's see. That list includes Great Hall of the Citadel, uh, Wizards Rockets, Anything that makes treasures, woes, pathfinders, uh, the red cycler, the Olafanth. If you have between one to three of any of the cards that I just mentioned in your deck, you can just put Aimer in and it'll be fine. <laughs> Plus, if you're tempting, like at this point in the format, you should be. If you're you know, doing Tempted by the Ring, just loot him away if you can't cast him or, you know, loot a bunch and find your red source. Uh, you can usually just cast him by turn five if you're doing a multicolored pile. And honestly, if you have like, I don't know, like a blue-black deck with maybe a couple legends already, like Mouth of Sauron or other nonsense like that. You could just put two-ish Great Hall of the Citadel in your deck and then just play Aimer and a bunch of card draw spells. 
no card draw is fixing, right? It's fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, actually we, I was just thinking we've done, uh, we have talked a few times about how magic and wizards in, in general has kind of shifted as of late to making sure sets have some kind of mechanic that enables generating extra cards. So we've seen it in the past with like lesson learn. Uh, we've seen it with the Kaldheim one that I can't foretell. Yeah. And I think we didn't talk about this in our like format rundown for this show, uh, for this set, but the ring bear thing kind of is that as well. I mean, the fact that Mm. you just can make any creature loot every turn with really no downside is sort of just an extra way to get cards in hand. So I like that. I think it's creative. It's a nice way to do that. And it was very on theme, obviously with the set and does make it easier to splash. So yeah, I think they, they had a, they had it kind of pinned down there. Now we did talk about some of the runner ups already just based on numbers, but we wanted to kind of highlight what those were in a little more detail. So first runner up was fear fire foes. That's the X red sorcery at uncommon damage can't be prevented this turn. And then it deals X damage to target creature and one damage to each other creature with the same controller. Nice way to remove a seriously pesky threat and also generally wipe the board in the process. Um, and a one-sided board wipe at that. So also a very good card. We saw it did quite good numbers as well in the 64% game and hand win rate range. Yeah, this is like at worst a two for one. It's it's so stupidly good. Uh, sometimes, I mean, you'll, you'll use this to answer one of the threats that can't be answered otherwise, like the, uh, the Faramir or Horn of Gondor. This is one of maybe two or three cards in the set that can act like a board wipe. There's not too many true board wipes in the set, but there are uh, a couple of ways, this and the Black Breath, uh, of dealing with all the X1s at once. Uh, so you you want as many copies of this in your deck as you can. Well, uh, the Black Breath, you can't really play main deck unless you're, I don't know, I've been playing almost entirely best of three, so I usually keep it in the side to start, and I'll side it in against red-white or red or white adjacent decks, but if you're Fire Foes, you just put in every single red deck. You can splash this one too. Yeah, also, I think this this is a kind of card that I think at first you read and you're like, well, what if my opponent doesn't have a bunch of 1-1s? And really, you shouldn't even be thinking about that. In this format, three damage is really enough to kill just about everything. There are a handful of things you can't kill at three, but that's a four mana kill spell, which is essentially just a murder, right? Like it, it's, and then it's got upside from there. So it's a really, really good card. I'd never cut this in any deck that can cast it. And this is another one that's quite easy to splash. Yep. Next up, we've got Nazgul, the uh, infamous $20 uncommon, because <laughs> I guess everyone wants all the fancy arts or whatever. I mean, you got to get all nine, right? So Nazgul is uh, two and a black. That's the one, two death touch. When it enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. And whenever the ring tempts you, you put a one, one counter on each wraith you control. Uh, turns out you're never going to get nine in a deck. So that last bit of text about having up to nine doesn't really matter. But uh I mean, <laughs> I don't think you pass this card that, that often, right? I mean, just a, a three mana, two, three ring bearer with death touch by itself is an extremely difficult creature to deal with on board. I mean, a two, three death touch for three, that's fine. You know, solid body. Uh, but the fact that it can attack and if you can get to level two where this thing becomes a looter, it becomes basically impossible to profitably block it. Like you can't put a two, four in front of it. You can't put like a three, three in front of it. Like... How do you how do you kill this thing? <laughs> yeah, this is also interesting just because they kind of they almost worked themselves into a hole where this card was like a non-bow with itself. Um, but giving a death touch really means that it doesn't really matter how big it grows. It doesn't matter if things can block it. They're still going to lose their blockers. So um, do appreciate that. Also, just side note as a bit of a fun fact in limited, if you're not familiar in limited, there is no limit to how many cards of a given name you can have in your deck. So. That last line of text wouldn't have mattered anyway in, in limited, but oh, it does actually. It, it, it does apply. Oh, in this in this one. I checked, sorry, yeah. 
I should I should say this line would still apply, but you could also have nine of other cards as well. This one actually just stops you from having more than nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in a way, it's downside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next up, we've got Sauron's Trickery. This is one blue blue for an instant at uncommon. It says counter target spell, a mass orcs one. So this is just cancel with upside. We see these cards in just about every set that gets printed. There's almost always a one blue blue counter spell. It turns out, though, attaching a creature to your counter spell is just really good. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Like a one blue blue flash one one ETB counter a spell. That would be stupidly busted. Uh, actually, the fact that this doesn't you know, have a creature attached to it means you can't recur it or flicker it. Oh, man, there is a flicker card in the set. That would have been so cool. Um it also means yeah, it can't be hit with other counter spells and such. Pretty much all the counter spells besides this one in the format do target creatures, so it lets you get around that. Um, mm-hmm. I'd rather have the other upside personally, but yeah, this is uh, just a solid, just a solid card to add in. Basically, all your blue black amass decks. Yeah, especially once you start to get to the point in the game where you've kind of hit the insurmountable advantage state where there, there's ways your opponent could come back, but it would involve them resolving a spell. Uh, this is the type of one where, you know, you can make sure you're, you're totally safe. Like you're not worried about their, uh, their Gandalf sanction, you know, coming off the top and hitting you for 10 out of nowhere. Uh, whereas the other counter spells can't stop that. So yeah, this is a really high pick. Do you still see it come around kind of late sometimes? Well, I will also add, right. We've kind of, I mean, the other, the other cards we've talked about so far, in terms of runner-ups here, can pretty much just be put in any deck that can cast them. I would say Saruman's Trickery is probably not in that category. I think there are still specific decks that want this and specific decks that literally do not care about a counterspell, period, mm-hmm. let alone the fact that it's a two-pip uh, colored card. So this does kind of knock it down a little bit. Of course, it's still putting up good numbers. We said it was in the sort of 63% game and hand win rate range, so maybe a little win more in the situation that Ben described there, but yeah, still very good. And last one up here, we've got Voracious Felbeast. That's the four and a black 4-4 flyer. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a creature. Create a food token for each creature sacrificed this way. That last line of text doesn't come up too often. It means if they sack their thing in response and they don't end up sacking a creature, you don't get the food, which makes sense. If the Felbeast doesn't eat something, you don't get to gain a life, you know, or I think. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, strong one. Sometimes this one can be a little too slow. Uh, I was actually just doing a blue-black deck, uh, a, a draft, where I picked up one of these pretty early, like pack one, pick two. And then I had the option to take a second one, uh, pack three, pick like three or something. But I looked at my my curve. I already had a handful of other expensive cards. I had like a, a Witch King of Angmar, uh, and I had, I think, the Troll of Kaza Doom. So I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, do I want my like fourth five plus finisher. I, I wasn't entirely sure that I did. I think I ended up taking March from the black gates over it. The one and a black uh, ETB amass one. And then whenever you ama- uh, attack with it, you amass one. I, I wasn't sure if that was correct. I'm interested to hear if the listener has a uh, thoughts on that. In fact, listener, you can like comment and subscribe to tell me if I did a, uh, a good, <laughs> it's, it's been a while. You didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, they never do. Uh, yeah, anyway, I'm curious, though, uh, whether people think that was the correct pick or not. I- I'll post that that uh, uh, that list somewhere. I went 2-1 with it, so sadly not going to be in the trophies. All right, and then lastly, to round up this episode, we just want to talk about a couple of miscellaneous things. Uh, we got Commander Master spoilers, apparently. This is news to me. I didn't actually know this until reading these show notes. But it uh, looks like some fun reprints are coming. We've got some new sort of uh, frames for Legends and such. And, I mean, the last Commander's... I think Baldur's Gate was kind of supposed to be a Commander's Master set, but it wasn't really. Like, Commander Legends is the last one that I'm really considering a Commander's draft set. And mm-hmm. um, 
this looks to be more similar to the form to, to, to commander legends, right? Yeah. I think this kind of takes some of the best aspects of both. looks like we're getting a lot of good reprints, um, a lot of high value cards people have been asking for, for quite a while. I'm definitely interested in drafting this. Uh, plus drafting commander sets is really fun. Uh, I actually <laughs> kind of won my table last time we did the commander draft over bearded, but that was a good time. Uh, I played like a red, white casting things from exile flicker deck. Uh, big Boros. That was a, a really fun time. Uh, anyway, I'm excited to run that back. Uh, some cool legends this time too. Uh, that was for Baldur's Gate, so I wasn't you know that invested in the creatures or characters or anything. Just not super into it. But uh, looking at some of the cards spoiled so far, there's some real bangers, um, including the neat new frame. Uh, I, I put a picture in of Azusa Lost but Seeking. This is a really nice card. Like, look at that 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 type of framing. I'm excited to see what they do with the other legends. Cause it sounds like they're doing this for some of the most popular commanders. Yeah. It's very, uh, very minimalist. It's basically just a solid colored background with like the, the character art. Um, have you seen the, the art for obscuring haze, by the way, the alt art? No, no, I haven't here. Check this out. Um, I'll just send you a link to it. it this is a gorgeous card. Ooh, very nice. Yeah, no, that, that, that's real nice. And also, Obscuring Haze, that's part of the free cycle, right? Where you can cast, if you are uh, you control your commander, like Deflecting Swat, Deadly Rollick, Obscuring Haze. Those cards, um, th- those are part of the cycle that people have been asking for reprints of for ages. Those came in the pre-cons with Ikoria, I think. But those all went up to be like $60 cards. At least the good ones, I think. One's like a Counterspell, one's like a Redirect. One might be... I think this one's a Fog. This one's a know. Fog. The, the uh, interesting thing is, I mean, Oathbreaker's now a... a proper format right it's it's a sanctioned mm. format and so if you can cast your signature spell while your commander's in play for free like that's a big deal that seems pretty good yeah uh, definitely interested in drafting the set you know uh have a cool like commander draft type thing at some point yeah definitely and then uh for all you draft draft cube fans out there we got a cube update uh just a couple things in and out i think nine total changes uh let me just run through the changes real quick and and give a little bit of reasoning behind them so uh Extract from Darkness, that's the five mana blue-black reanimate spell. That's out. Invasion of Amonkhet is in. You know, just kind of a a cooler, more updated version. Battles are interesting. They play really well. And Invasion of Amonkhet has some additional play to it. Uh, Honestly, that's the the reasoning you can make for a lot of these changes. They have some more interesting play uh, behind them. More decisions to make. In more interesting, more fun decisions to make. Uh, Illyrios and Raptured is out. Preening Champion is in. Kind of another update. Illyrios and Raptured is a, it's a legend. So sometimes if you're cloning things, it can get a little awkward or like flickering clones. Preening Champion, we all love it. We all love it. It's a flyer. Uh, it makes a slightly worse token, which I think is better. The flicker deck needed to come down a little bit. Uh, Champion, the body is the better part and the token's a little worse than Illyrios. So uh, I don't know. This... I think is fine. Uh, Farfinder's out. Skittering Surveyor's in. Not going to lie, Farfinder, the little fox guy. Cute, but um, I, I wanted to kind of go back towards the artifact version. Plus, Skittering Surveyor is, uh, you know, I like this little guy. We got to play with him recently, so everyone's got them floating around. Some other updates from recent sets. Young Necromancer is out. That was five mana for like a 2-2. When it entered the battlefield, you had to exile some cards from your graveyard. And if you did, you could reanimate something. Uh, that's uh, out for Archpriest of Shadows, the five mana ba- uh, backup reanimating card love an archpriest of shadows that seems like it could have some cool play ideas behind it plus um all these um backup cards work well with the uh, flicker vector already in the cube revelark is out 
swapped in for Guardian of Giraper. Didn't really like the way Revelark played. Uh, didn't have that many things, mana value two or less, to reanimate. So I think Guardian of Giraper, it's going to fill that slot better in the Flicker deck. Uh, another uh, change here, Inspiring Cleric is out. Boonbringer Valkyrie is in. This is the uh, the slot that's supposed to be taken for a, uh, a mono-white card to hate on mono-red or to hate on burn-style decks or to hate on um, anything that's that's trying to use, I guess, tempo to you know, subtract life total unfairly quickly. Uh, Inspiring Cleric was good with the Flicker stuff, but so is Boonbringer Valkyrie, and this kind of fills the Bane Slayer requirement that we didn't have so far. Feldar Retreat is out. Card's a little too good anyway. <laughs> uh, swapped in for Rosy Cotton of South Lane, right into the green-white uh, twin deck. Rosy Cotton goes infinite with a few of the cards already in the, in the, in the set, uh, and Feldar Retreat does not, so that was an easy call to make. A uh, couple of the cool ones here. Yeheni's Expertise is out. That was the four mana minus three minus three to all creatures. Uh, and then you could free cast something three or less. Just a little too generically good. It even saw some standard play. So happy to swap that out for Invasion of Fiora. Getting another uh, battle in there. Kind of see how that one plays. Plus, getting to make yourself the Monarch. You know, really sick. Uh, another one that's out is Anti-Cognition. We have both Anti-Cognition and Make Disappear in the cube. Um, both kind of conditional counter spells that involve your opponent paying a certain amount of mana. Uh, Anti-Cog, I think, only hits creatures and planeswalkers, whereas uh, Make Disappear hits everything. So it just seemed a little redundant. Uh, swap that one out for Counterspell. That one's for you. Yeah. Yeah, Counterspell, I think at this point we can agree, is Draft Chaff. You know, it sees play, yes, but... I think we don't have to get on all that right now. But uh, if you want to roast me in the Discord for this, feel free, people. But Counterspell is draft chaff. You would see it on the table after a draft, right? You see it after like a master's draft. It's sitting on the table. No one wants it. That's draft chaff. And if you don't agree, go check out our episode on what is draft chaff. <laughs> all right. That does it for us this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Do check out the Discord again. If you're not already in there, we would love to have you. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. And you can find us on Twitter at DraftChaffPod. No threads yet. Let us know. Should we be on threads? Is that a thing we should do? do we, we don't even have an Instagram. Maybe we should have an Instagram. Anyway, thanks, folks. We'll catch you next week. So uh, should I dig up that buried lead? Or? Oh, gosh. Let it, let it lie. All right. That's the show. See you next week. <laughs> Yeah, just kidding. I got to talk about this. So anyway, I'm at, I'm at draft, right? Uh, between rounds, uh, Pessimistic Corn and I from Discord, uh, we, des- we decided to pop down, pick up some packs. Just, you know, I hate walking out of a draft that I'm, you know, 3-0'd without picking up a pack. You know, you can't, can't just do that. So um, we decided to go with uh, some collector boosters for Lord of the Rings, knowing full well that the ring is gone. The one ring has been opened and graded, and that's, you know, that's gone. But whatever, there's still a bunch of those other tertiary rings, I guess, the... Uh, well, there was the one ring to rule them all, but there were also the nine for mortal men doomed to die, nine for the, no, three for the, no, five for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, uh, three for the elves. Ugh, I forgot what the elf thing is. Do you remember? Not, not off the top of my head. Yeah, whatever. Three for the elves. Um, anywho, uh, so I, I'm thinking like, all right, I, I tell pessimistic corn, I'm like, there's no way we make our EV back on this dude. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Like it's for fun. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's all for fun. Funniest part was, uh, when we were being handed the packs, he goes, Hey, um, t- p- pick which pack you want. And I was like, I don't care, dude. Just, it doesn't matter. Give me either. <laughs> so I was handed one of them. I opened it and, um, I was, it was not in the back of the pack. It was probably like five cards in. What do I find? But a, uh, a serialized human ring. Uh, one of 900, I opened number 084. 
and uh, upon a quick Google search, found out it was worth about two thousand dollars. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> really makes up for you missing the open last week, huh? Honestly, it does. It does. Did you, you know, miss the open though? I think you got the open. You did the open. <laughs> this is kind of the same thing, right? Uh, same in the end. And uh, the funny part was, I actually the pack was a good pack too. I opened like a Minas Tirith, which uh, is like a. A uh, cabal coffers uh, overskin, and also a foil delighted halfling. Um, so the the pack actually would have made EV even without <laughs> even without the ring. Anyway, uh, we are obviously lost our minds. I triple quadruple sleeved that thing up immediately, and then proceeded to show as many people as I could in the local game store. They took my picture with it. It's on Twitter. It was in the Discord. Uh, look, I, you never you never like deserve or earn to open a certain thing, right? But I've put a lot of time into this set. I hit number one on the truth on the trophy board. I really enjoyed playing this set, and I'm still really enjoying playing this set. So um, I don't know. It just worked out, you know. I got I got to be really grateful for that. Yeah, and you know that whole story just really reminds me that overall there were three rings for the Elven Kings under the sky, seven for the Dwarf Lords in their halls of stone, <laughs> nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the Dark Lord on his dark throne in the land of Mortar where the shadows lie, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, bind them in the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie.